Good morning. My name is David, one of the pastors at Bethesda Evangelical Church. Thank you for joining us for our online service this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 verses 27 through 42. We are continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of John. And today we're looking at part two of the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Our Bible passage this morning is John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bible, and I encourage you to read along with me. Starting in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman... But no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you you not say there are four months then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and have entered, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. This is the word of the Lord. When I was in undergraduate school, I was invited to be an evangelist intern in a major city in America. Essentially, the setup was that we would go to the city, wake up, strike, strike up conversations with people who don't know the Lord, and try to lead people to personal faith in Jesus by telling people lost from God about the salvation that's possible through Christ. Looking back on it, it wasn't the most structured event. It, we didn't really see a lot of fruit from it. And living in the 21st century, it is usually best to try to share your faith with people that you know or have a mutual friendship and relationship with. Nevertheless, as a bunch of college students, we were eager to go, and I had a great time there. And uh, there was one situation in which my friend, uh, as far as we could tell, had led someone to personal faith in Christ, right there on the streets in this city. And he encouraged her to tell someone about it right away. And since I was standing by them, she told me, And that's kind of what we see in this story here in the Gospel of John. This Samaritan woman has come to 
faith in Christ and immediately she has a desire to tell other people about him. In this story, we see an unlikely witness leading people to Christ. And so I'll ask, how and what does it look like to do the work of an evangelist? We start in verse 27 where it says, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? The first two words there are just then. The disciples came and spoke to Jesus and, and interrupted the conversation, so to speak, at the perfect timing. If they would have come way before, they could have damaged the conversation and this could have hindered Christ's interaction with this Samaritan woman. But just then is a clue from the narrator, from John, showing us of God's perfect timing and complete sovereignty over all events of life, even when someone eavesdrops or jumps into a conversation. We're told that the disciples came and they were in Samaria uh, buying food. We, we know that because in the beginning of John's gospel, that's exactly what it says. They went out of town to buy food and so they come back to see Jesus and him, Jesus, a male Jewish teacher, is speaking with a, a moral Samaritan woman in public. The text says that they marveled that he was doing this. That word marveled could be translated as shocked. They were absolutely shocked that Jesus would be doing this. But the passage says that they did not ask him why he was doing this, partly because of their shock, but also because of their respect for Jesus and who he was and what uh, their, their understanding of his authority over them. So the disciples come back and they see him and uh, they do not ask him at all about why he was doing this. It would have been understanding for him to talk to Nicodemus in chapter 3, if you can remember that story. Nicodemus was a man, he was a religious figure, he was rich, but to be talking to a Samaritan woman just seemed like this is not exactly what the cultural thing uh, is to do. Jesus was breaking all kinds of cultural rules and norms. But by doing this, Jesus is showing how far he is willing to go to reach people. How far he's willing to go to not care about his reputation, but seek people who are far from God and bring them into the fold. There, there was a guy one day uh, kicking a soccer ball outside of his home. Um, this guy wasn't exactly... The coolest guy in the world, he wasn't the most likable. He was extremely introverted and had social anxiety issues and was somewhat of a loner. Had a hard time making friends and was outside by himself kicking a soccer ball one day. And another person who is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, saw him and he invited him to hang out. And the guy kicking the soccer ball did. And this one invitation to hang out led to uh, the guy kicking the soccer ball uh, coming to faith in Jesus. As my roommate told me the story, former roommate that is, I was blown away by the fact that his conversion to Christ and him coming to faith started one day uh, when he was out there kicking the soccer ball and someone happened to spot him and invited him to hang out. One of the things we learn in this passage is that followers of Jesus, those who walk with God and call upon the Lord as King and Savior, we should be the kind of people who pursue people on the outside, the outcasts, the misfits, the marginalized, the victimized, people who 
feel like they don't belong, the people who are far from God. And often it doesn't always have to be with you saying the deep biblical theological things, but sometimes it starts with a personal invitation to church or a personal invitation to hang out. Regardless, uh, followers of Christ should be seeking people who don't know the Lord and trying to invite them into a personal relationship with God and His church. Next, we see the Samaritan woman's desire to share her faith with others in Christ. We see this in verse 28 where it says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. Remember in verse 26, and Jesus and the Samaritan woman part 1, Jesus at the end of their conversation reveals to her that he is in fact the Messiah, the Savior, the, the Deliverer. And she starts to, she believes this. And she, she decides to go and tell other people that she, Jesus is the Christ. Uh, look with me in verse 28. I love the minor detail that John adds there. He says, So the woman left her water jar. So the woman, the Samaritan woman, left her water jar at the well to go tell other people about Christ in her town. The, the whole purpose of her going to the well was to draw water. I, I love, as one commentator pointed out, she didn't forget her water jar at the well, but she left it there. She left it there. The whole purpose was to go get water. The whole purpose of going in the middle of the day was to avoid people. She was carrying so much shame and guilt. And yet in God's providence, Jesus comes to Samaria and speaks to her and reveal her, her need for a Savior. She comes to saving faith. That minor detail there shows the excitement, the enthusiasm that she has to want to tell other people about Christ, about her new relationship with Him. I love her boldness. Her urgency. She goes back into her own hometown. The people who she wanted to ignore. The, the people that before she did not want to associate with it. Because they knew that she had had five husbands. And that she was immoral in many ways. And she felt a lot of shame because of this. And yet she did not let that stop her from telling other people about Christ. She doesn't go back in her hometown and, and wonders insecurely. Are, are, what are people going to think of me? I don't have that much knowledge of the Old Testament. Is anyone going to really listen to me? I have a bad repu reputation. Can God really use someone like me? There, there is none of that in this passage. Instead, what we see is enthusiasm and this excitement to want to go tell other people about Christ. I love that part. and I love that part of the story that John left that detail in there. She says, uh, come see a man who's told me all that I ever did, which is... Uh, Obviously, an exaggeration. Jesus didn't tell her all that she's ever done, but she's excited, so we'll, we'll give her room to be really excited. And she says, can this be the Christ? There's a little bit of hesitancy there. She doesn't have all her questions answered. She doesn't know all of her theology, but she's still willing to talk to other people who don't know the Lord. What we learn from this passage is that God can use an unlikely servant, an unlikely follower, new follower of Jesus, to lead other people to Him. You don't need a seminary degree. 
You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't need to know all of everything there is to know about the Bible. You don't need to have all of your theological questions answered. You can be a person of doubt in some respects yourself. But the more you have a deep love for Jesus and an excitement about who he is and what he's done, the more the mission of God and the urgency to tell other people about him will take prominence in your life. This woman had a morally corrupt past, and yet she doesn't let that weigh her down anymore. She has a new life in Christ, and she wants to tell other people about him. It comes from a deep excitement and a deep sense of urgency of the mission of God to tell other people about Christ. You know, currently we're living in a coronavirus age. The coronavirus is evil. We're living in a pandemic. This is a difficult time. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry about the future. And uh, but obviously, you know, God is so big and so sovereign that he can use a horrible situation like this to bring good out of it. And one good thing that he's brought out of it is, uh, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but Bible sales have gone through the roof. People are buying Bibles like crazy right now. In fact, one company reports a 162% increase of Bibles purchase compared to last year. The co-founder of that company said, In this life-altering and unprecedented pandemic, People are looking for hope and restoration. We believe people are buying Bibles because there's a longing to connect with God, find meaning, and experience peace. Lifeway, a popular Christian store, uh, their CEO said that they're experiencing a 62% increase in Bible sales. He said this, We believe this is no accident. As people go to the Bible as a source of hope in times of crisis and uncertainty, People draw hope from scripture because in it they see a God who is with us during our suffering. I also saw a picture on social media of someone who, uh, I don't know how they got this picture. It must have been before things were in total lockdown. But he took a picture of a bookstore uh, where the Bibles are located and most of the Bibles had been purchased. So there, there, there is a hunger from people who would ordinarily not be interested in God right now to know more about God. Now, obviously, God is sovereign, which means he's powerful and he's in control over everything, especially someone's salvation, them coming to faith in Jesus. You and I cannot save anyone, but we do have a front row seat at being a part of the work of God when we talk to other people and tell other people about Christ. So right now in your personal life, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, uh, people that you've known for a long time, uh, many of them are curious about death and life and heaven and hell and eternity and spiritual things and, and wondering, you know, my whole life I've been far from God. Is there really a God? This, this, what's going to happen to me after I die? Where, is, is Jesus really true? Is, this, is Christianity the only correct religion? And so I just want to encourage you and encourage us as a church right now to be leveraging this opportunity or wisely taking advantage of this opportunity in a loving way, not to be abrasive or abrupt, but also to have a sense of boldness and urgency behind us of realizing there's a lot of people in the world right now who are wondering about God and need hope. And the truth is, only in Jesus Christ is there true hope. That's it.
And so the most loving thing that you can do for someone who's not a Christian, even if they get offended or the conversation gets awkward, the most loving thing that you can do for them is to tell them about where they can find this hope through personal faith in Christ. So let me just encourage you to muster up the boldness and strength through looking to Christ and to desire to want to share Him with other people. I received a Facebook message recently from a college friend of mine over 10 years ago, and he sent me a photo of a Bible. The Bible was a, um, a Bible that I got, a small NIV Bible with his name on it. And he sent me a picture, and he said something like, Hey, bro, do you remember you buying this for me? I'm about to open it up right now and read it. That was over a decade ago. I bought him that Bible. I don't really even remember doing it. I bought him that Bible and I put his name on it. I paid for it. I gave it to him. And I didn't know what was going to happen. For all I know, he threw that Bible in the trash or it's just hanging on his uh, bookshelf collecting dust. He, he, he never read it. I, I just, I kind of just kind of moved on. And here we are 10 years later. He sends me a message and he's about to start reading that Bible I bought him. One thing that taught me was that, you know, a lot of our spiritual efforts and our desires to reach out to other people, um, a lot of the results are, quite frankly, hidden from us. When you tell other people about Jesus, when you share your faith, when you buy people Bibles, when you invite people to church, when you pray for the lost, when you, when you do this kind of work, just because people don't tell you how you've impacted their life doesn't mean you haven't impacted their life. Just because you don't see the results right away doesn't mean God is not working. The Bible promises that God's word never returns void. That it always accomplishes the purposes by which it was sent out to do. And so I'm just massively encouraged by this Facebook message and this story. And so just to encourage you as you continue to pray and, and seek the loss and share Christ and reach out to people just because you don't see the results right away doesn't mean God is not working. God's word never returns void. And we see in the next part of the passage, not only Jesus interacting with the Samaritan woman, but Jesus also taking this time to give his disciples various lessons. It says, verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The disciples are encouraging their master, their savior, their lord, their teacher to eat. A good disciple back then would have done that. Part of the work of disciples was to look out for their master and to help them. And Jesus, no doubt, would have been exhausted and weary from the travel and the conversation and hadn't eaten in a long time. But instead of eating, which could have been an appropriate thing to do, uh, Jesus takes this time to give a spiritual lesson. He says, I have food to eat that you do not know anything about. The, of course, the disciples take him literally and as they do often, they wonder, what in the world are you talking about when you say that? And what Jesus is talking about here, and what Jesus is doing, as he often does in the Gospel of John, 
is he takes a physical, material thing and turns it into a spiritual lesson. And the spiritual lesson here is this. The kingdom of God takes precedence over bodily comforts. The kingdom of God takes precedence over bodily comforts. That's what John Calvin says when he says, By his example, Jesus shows us that the kingdom of God should have priority over all bodily comforts. Jesus is saying that the will of God, the food that he's talking about, is doing and accomplishing the will of God. The food that he's talking about is doing and accomplishing the work that God the Father had sent him to do. On a broad scale, this means dying on the cross in your place, in my place, and rising from the dead. We just celebrated Good Friday. We just celebrated Easter. These are some of the biggest events in the history of the world where Christ died and rose from the dead. And on the broad scale, the work, the accomplishment that Jesus was sent to do was to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. That anyone, regardless of any sins that you've committed, if you've turned from your sin and believe and trust in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and the righteousness of God will be accredited to you forever. You will have a right standing with God forever because of what Christ has done. That is the broad work. But the specific work here is right in the details of the passage, and that is simply to talk to the Samaritan woman. That was the will of God in this present moment, was to evangelize, talk to, reveal the need of a Savior to the woman that he is speaking to. That's what Jesus means when he says that uh, my food is to do the will of God uh, who sent me to do his will. Jesus is laser focused. Laser focused on the mission that God has for him. And he continues once again with the spiritual analogies. This one a little bit more difficult where he says in verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months then comes the harvest? Look I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus here is giving a farming illustration. Those who farm, those who harvest, those who plant, you know, apple trees, um, if, those who garden. You can think about this, that when you, uh, if you plant an apple tree on Monday, you don't eat an apple from that same apple tree on Tuesday. No, no one thinks like that. It takes a long time for you to see the sowing from your reaping. For those who are farmers, for those who are in the harvest, being in the Palestinian area, this would have made a lot more sense to the people then in which this kind of occupation was pretty prominent. Usually it takes several months to see the reaping from your sowing. But what Jesus is saying here in this passage is that with the dawn of his ministry, the reaping and the sowing go together. And we see this right away happening in the next few verses where many more Samaritans come to faith in Christ and they believe in Him. No longer is this this long, long period of having to wait to see spiritual results, but because of the Holy Spirit and because of Christ and His ministry, we can see the fruit of our efforts. Sometimes we don't see them, sometimes we can't. And that's what Jesus was saying with that kind of illustration. And then he humbles the disciples and he tells them that he's sending them out to participate in this harvest. He's saying, hey, you see me talking to this Samaritan woman? 
who's far from God, who doesn't know the Lord. She's, she came to faith in Christ right away. There's going to be more Samaritans who come to faith right away. I'm doing this, but also you're going to do this as well. The Father sent me, now I'm sending you. I, I'm doing this because I love this person, but I'm also trying to give you an example to show you what it means to follow me. And part of following Jesus is to participate in the work and be involved in the harvest of sowing seeds and telling other people about Christ and bringing them into the fold. And Jesus tells that to his disciples and then he, he humbles them. Uh, he encourages them by sending, telling them that he's going to commission them and send them out. But then he also humbles them. He humbles them and he reminds them that part of the reason why they can see fruit, the part of the reason why they can reap what they've sown is because of all the Old Testament people that have come before them, uh, specifically John the Baptist, but not only John the Baptist, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, and so on and so forth. The disciples, God was doing a lot in the world before the disciples showed up. God has been doing a lot in the world before you and I ever showed up. And because of the work of others before us, specifically for the disciples, because of the work before them of the Old Testament saints, they can see benefit because others have laid the groundwork for them. It is such an amazing thing to be a part of the Christian faith. Currently, there are over 2 billion people who are Christians in the world. I even think of our own church at Bethesda Church. We're a church with over 100 years of history. And we're seeing ministry fruit and success in various areas baptisms, people coming to faith in Christ, hopefully more of any fruit or any spiritual success, so to speak, that we see in 2020 and beyond is in part due to God using saints before us for the decades. So generations and decades of people giving their money to God's kingdom purposes, giving their time to serve the church, assessing their spiritual gifts and desiring to use that to build up and edify the church, the fruit that we see now is paved by many of you who have been at Bethesda for a long time and have been laying the groundwork and, and doing the work of ministry. And so one cannot, take the, one cannot take the success or if we see success in some area, a ministry is doing well, a church is growing, people are, are rallying. It cannot be because of one person. It cannot be just because of a pastor, a new pastor a different pastor, whoever. It's because of collectively, together as a church, we work, we identify our part, we identify our spiritual gifts, and we say, how can I use my time, my money, my energy, my effort to build up the church, to advance the kingdom of God? And any reaping that we see, any spiritual fruit that we see, is the results of many hands and hearts. Not just one preacher, not just one the people who step on stage, but all of us collectively together. This should humble us and knowing that God is using all of us together as a church to do his results. But this should also encourage us and inspire us and to figure out where can I get involved? Specifically with the work of evangelism. What does it look like for me to invite people that I know in my neighborhood, the, the place of where I go to the gym, into this church or into a relationship with God? It may not feel like it, but whenever you share with your coworkers how God has 
healed or blessed your marriage, or whenever you share with your neighbors that you go to Bethesda Church and you love going there, or whenever you share with family or other people that you know that are far from God, that the God of the Bible is your comfort during hard times, you, you are beginning to do the work of evangelists. You are beginning to put yourself out there. And it may not feel like it, but that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And it starts usually with those small kind of conversations. Many, many other Samaritans start to come to faith in Jesus. Jesus himself starts to speak to them. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. She had tasted into this living water she had drunk from this living water and now it was overflowing into other people and now these other samaritans are coming in to meet jesus himself and talk to him the samaritans believed through a woman but jesus himself did even more spiritual evangelistic work and many more came because of him and that jesus spends two whole days with them the bible says once again this would have been extraordinary back then to think of a male Jewish teacher spending two whole days with the Samaritan people. And this shows you the confidence that Jesus had won in them, the relational rapport that he's won so quickly. And he pours out his heart to them for two days, and many of them come to faith in Christ. I want to highlight verse 41, where the four words there says, because of his word. Verse 41, because of his word. The word there doesn't mean word as in holy word or your Bible. The word there literally means his words or his speech. In other words, people were coming to belief in Christ because of the words that Jesus was using as he was speaking to them. In Romans 10, 17, Paul says that faith comes by hearing. So one of the reasons why preaching is preeminent on Sunday mornings is because the God-ordained means that God often uses to save people and build up the church is through someone preaching and teaching his word. But also on a other level, as we share Christ with people and tell other people about Jesus, uh, one thing I want to highlight is that you know being a good example is good, but it's not good enough. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm just shining my light for Jesus, or I'm just going to pick up the pizza tab, or I'm going I'm to work hard and show, stay early and show up late and smile a lot. Uh, those things are really good. And of course, a good example must accompany what you said, because if that's not true, then you'll live hypocritically, right? That's obviously not the point. But I do believe that there are a lot of Christians who think, you know, I'm super introverted. I just, I don't know what to say. Instead of saying anything about Jesus with my words, I'm going to be a good example. That is good, but once again, it's not good enough. Part of doing the work of an evangelist and sharing Christ with other people is to physically, literally use your words and to speak up about Christ in some way. Evangelism is sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't know Him in hopes of persuading them to turn from their unrepentant lifestyle and trusting Christ. So yes, be a good example indeed. But let's remember those four words in verse 41 where it says, Because of his word, faith comes by hearing, not necessarily by seeing alone. Seeing is good, being a good example is good, but it must be accompanied with words 
words about Jesus. That is the way that God uses his people to advance his purposes in the world. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. Not just a Savior for the Jewish people anymore. Earlier in the conversation, Jesus said, salvation is from the Jews. But now we learn that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of anyone who would call out and believe in Him. In the previous chapter, Jesus brings the good news to Nicodemus in Judea. Now He brings the good news of Himself to the Samaritan woman. Later, through Paul and others, the gospel goes forth to the Gentiles. Gentiles is anyone who's not a Jewish person. Jews, uh, Judea, Samaria, Gentiles. What does that remind you of? It should remind you of Acts chapter 1 and the mission of God where it says that the disciples should wait for the Holy Spirit and spread the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in the Gospel of John. That was his mission strategy. That was the mission strategy that the post-Pentecostal error in Acts adapted as well. And now that we live in the 21st century, the Gospel is available to anyone. Black or white, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, no matter who you are, anyone who turns from their sin and believes in Jesus can have a right relationship with God. And those who do have a right relationship with God are required, are encouraged to tell other people about Him. John Calvin says it this way, It is the nature of faith that we want to bring others to share eternal life with us when we have become partakers of it. The knowledge of God cannot lie buried and inactive in our hearts and not be known, made known to men. If the knowledge of God lies in your heart, let me encourage you to tell other people who don't know about this knowledge of the saving relationship that they can have with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh Father, we just come before you. Oh Lord God, we look to you. We ask for boldness and encouragement to share Christ with people. Help us to be urgent. Help us to see the mission as preeminent, as more important than bodily comforts. Bless us and encourage us. Open up doors for the gospel to go forth and help us to be a church that's evangelistic in nature, doing the work of ministry together for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.